0: The black belt is the ultimate goal sought after by martial artists around the world. Find out in today's episode as we attempt to demystify what it takes to earn a black belt and what it means if you are among the elite few that have one. From the dojo
1: to the octagon, we bring you the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast!
0: This is your co-host Sri Pendekatla, and with us is co-host Shihan Russ St. Hilaire, 7th degree black belt in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. Happy New Year, Shihan. I'm looking forward to exciting and informative podcasts in the year 2016.
1: Happy New Year to you, Sri. Yep, me too. 2016, another year. Excited for all the students of Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu and excited to do a whole bunch of new podcasts this year about different subjects that everybody's interested in.
0: I'm really excited about today's podcast. Our topic is how long does it take to get a black belt?
1: Uh, Yes, that's a question that I think everybody considers at some point. You know, they end up comparing themselves to other schools and other systems and, you know, how long it takes other schools to get black belts. And there's probably a lot of questions in people's minds. So I thought we'd chat about that today.
0: Well, so to kick it off, the million-dollar question, how long does it take to get earn a black belt?
1: <laughs> well, that is that is the million-dollar question there. Let's start out the, the whole podcast uh, in the right vein, which is saying that a black belt is a symbol of achievement that has become accepted In jiu jitsu and in all all the martial arts, really, that have come from uh, the East, except for perhaps uh, some kung fu styles and and maybe some of the styles from like the Philippines, uh, you know, who have their own. Way of looking at that, but you know that that black belt, that symbol of uh, you know that high level of of mastery of skill, you know, is something that was created created in the in the 20th century by Jigoro Kano in judo, who came up with the idea of a belt system to help people sort of track their progress as as they learned, and also to help the instructors as these groups got larger and larger to determine you know who was learning what material. Um, And then that black belt became, you know, sort of that symbol of having reached a certain level of of expertise and, and mastery. But the truth is how long it takes to earn a black belt and what it takes to earn a black belt is really completely dependent on not only the style or the system, but maybe even down to the school or, or the instructor. I would say within large systems, there are some standards and some specific curriculum that a student must know and be able to demonstrate and perform in order to qualify to test and then get their black belt. But it really ranges widely from martial art to martial art, dojo to dojo, instructor to instructor. As we go through some of the things I know we wanted to talk about today, I think we'll hone in on, on some of the the details of that and, and give people a good idea about how long really should it take to get a black belt.
0: So compared to other martial arts, how long does it take in Kobu Jiu Jitsu?
1: Well, so that's a great question. So let's talk about maybe how long it takes in some of the other arts. I've been doing this for a long time. This is my thirty-sixth year, and I am just like any other student that was out there, I was very interested in finding out how long it was going to take me to get to my black belt. You know, over the years, I have been exposed to many different martial arts, but let's just talk about a few of them uh, and and the the common amount of time it takes each one of those to get their black belt. Does that sound like it makes sense?
0: Sure. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure you're going to be talking about averages and it yeah, yeah, depends yeah. on a lot of different things, but yeah,
1: go ahead. Yep. So these are these are the averages, right? These are sort of the stated averages. If you were to talk to, you know, a senior level person in that art, they would probably tell you this amount of time. So let's kind of start with judo. Judo is a well-known sport based off of martial arts, and it typically takes three to five years to get a black belt. In judo, it can be more towards the three-year end if you are a trainer and a competitor, and more towards the five-year end if you compete less. If you were looking at, uh, say, Japanese karate styles, again, it's it's probably in that three to five years on average. If we are talking about Japanese jiu jujitsu, it's typically a little longer. I would say it's four to six years. You know, four years of hard study up to sort of six years is I would say the average. And that's simply because there's so many more techniques than perhaps in a a karate style kung fu again that three to five year range Uh, aikido a little bit longer they they have maybe the five to seven year range uh, to get their their black belt of course they don't really deal with belt levels you're either a white belt or a black belt but about five to seven years and then we have you know some of the other arts that are out there that people are familiar with brazilian jiu-jitsu could be average of eight years to ten years somewhere in there krav maga uh, a little bit you know, shorter than that, but more like in the Aikido range, five to six years. And then you have the military combatives programs, right? The, the ones that are of course known the best are the, um, Army one and the Marine one, MACP for the Army and MCMAP for the Marines. And those are both two-year programs to, you know, get to the point where, you know, you've moved through all of their curriculum and you're at that highest level where you can now move into an instructor program. So as you can see, even across those arts, um, it, it varies fairly widely. And I think that just comes through the amount of techniques, how it's taught, what the traditions are, what they consider a black belt to mean, which I think is something that we'll talk about in a few in a few minutes that uh, sort of leads to that amount of time.
0: Speak to me a little bit about Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu itself. How, what is the average and what does it take to get a black belt? With this sure.
1: Style? I would say the average that I have seen is probably five years. At one time, I think it was more towards the four years. And I think the reason that was, is we had far, far less students than we have now across all the Kobukai Jiu Jitsu and a lot of individualized uh, attention. So it, it really moved along fast when you only have a handful of students. Uh, but I think it's more about in the five year range, although I've seen it go from three to seven. That's a good amount of time. Uh, it's pretty in line with, you know, what Japanese Jiu Jitsu styles uh, are typically have as a, as a time frame. And then as far as what does it take to get there? Well, that's that's another question. Did you want to?
0: Yeah, that was good. Well, yeah, I figured while we we're on the topic of, of Kobukai, we can, understanding of what it takes, how hard is it to get a black belt? And sure. we go from there.
1: Well, let's just talk about, you know, what it takes. So there is a, a curriculum and it is broken into techniques that address the self-defense situations that you, you would typically expect. So we have the ability to defend yourself uh, while standing against another unarmed person. We have defending yourself while you're standing against an armed person, you know, somebody with a club or a pistol or a knife. Uh, but we have arrest and restraining techniques where you can control somebody uh, without, you know, tossing them on their head. We have striking techniques uh, and escaping techniques. We also have self-defense on the ground. So it's it's sort of the whole gamut of what would happen in a self-defense situation. And that's based off of an escalation tree, I guess you would call it. And that is that if you are in a dangerous situation, the very first thing you need to do is recognize it, right? So we talk a lot about how to recognize uh, danger, um, how to not let your ego in the way, how to get in the way, how to walk away, run away. Those, Those things kind of come first, right? Then we have the situation where that didn't Happened the way it was supposed to, and you've been grasped, you've been grabbed, and now you need to escape. So quick escapes, and then basically run away again, right? You're getting out uh, out of the way of danger. Then the third level in the escalation is you're unable to mechanically escape from this person for whatever reason, and now you need to strike them. You know, the striking can happen in combination with the mechanical escape, but you're you're just simply you know not able to mechanically escape from somebody grabbing your arm or or choking you or you know bear hugging you or or whatever so you have to put in some kind of strike typically it's to some sort of point on their body that is very vulnerable and then you know again you escape after that one then we have uh, level four in the escalation, which is, you know, you've struck a couple of times or you've tried to strike that has not been successful. So now you need to throw the person down or, you know, take them down in some way. Throwing them to the ground, especially an untrained person can be very injurious and that will definitely stop the fight. And then you can disengage and run away or if the person's, you know, significantly hurt, you can call 911 and have somebody come in and, and, and help them out. Then after that, if that's really not possible, and you're trying to throw them, and it's not successful, and you get dragged down to the ground. Or it could even be that you know somebody blindsided you and struck you, and you ended up laying on the ground, and now they're on top of you trying to beat you up. Either way, you've ended up on the ground, and now you have to know how to you know maneuver on the ground. And And in self-defense, the main goal of the techniques that you do on the ground are to escape and get back on your feet and continue to escape. But in order to do that, you have to know specific movements on the ground and you also might need to do some sort of technique that breaks bones or tears muscles or chokes the person out or, or something like that because they're simply overwhelming you and, and you just do not have the opportunity to disengage and escape from the ground. So the techniques are kind of built along that escalation of violence uh, path framework and, and that's what each one of the students has to, has to know. Techniques are roughly, say, 50 at four level, 50 techniques at four levels. And we have a, we have two beginner levels, one intermediate level, one advanced level. Uh, once you're able to appropriately demonstrate each one of those techniques the way that they've been instructed and with the right sort of attitude and and energy, then then you're eligible to you know test for the various. You know levels, including, including your black belt. We don't specifically have, like other schools, we don't specifically have a competition component, although we use competition in classes as a, as a training tool. You've seen tests, especially the brown belt test and the black belt test, where the person testing at the very end has to go out there and either do Randori and Nawaza with, you know, several black belts, or they have to put on the gloves and, you know, just do no holds barred fighting. But like I've mentioned to everybody in the past, it has little to do with who wins or does not win any of those contests. It's more about the person's ability to drive through the exhaustion and how hard they try and the fact that they won't give up no matter what, because, you know, in real life on the street, that's what matters most, right, that you're just not going to give up. So hopefully that covers the, at least the curriculum portion and, and the attitude portion that we're looking for for somebody to test for black belt.
0: Right. Thank you. That you make it sound very straightforward. It sounds almost if you know listening in, not knowing anything about Kobukai,
1: easy. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> not definitely not easy.
0: Definitely yeah. not easy. I can attest to that. I, I've been it's, at it for five years, almost five and a half years, and I'm at a at a blue belt. You know, mid level, I guess. And I know it's very, very difficult. So can you maybe give me an understanding of what it means as you go up the ranks and what's the level of intensity and, and what makes it so hard?
1: Well, I would say the thing that makes it so hard is the reality of it. Unfortunately, when the Japanese martial arts came to the United States, they they came with these people that were amazed that these small Japanese people could, I won't say easily, but could could relatively easily throw somebody down to the ground or choke them out or, or put them in an armbar. And that person was you know significantly larger than them so you know they came back from from asia with these stories of these small people who weren't really that strong and they were able to easily defend you know these big westerners and so that that sort of mythology started with the martial arts as soon as it came to america and it lasted for a long 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 time now i will tell you the people that were practicing real deal jujitsu always knew that that was myth And that it was going to be difficult because you're fighting another human being. And that other human being could be more aggressive, could be stronger than you, etc. So it doesn't make you Superman or magic in any way, right? It it only gives you an advantage of having some knowledge about how the body works and how physics work and, you know, understanding specific moves and how to take advantage of people's natural motions and reactions. So. I think that's the reality of it. It is hard because you have to do it against another person. It's hard to test because your test is demonstrating, if not all, most of the techniques in the system. And that's a lot of techniques, right? It's, it's 200 techniques. So you're going to do somewhere north of 150 of 150 techniques. That just takes a lot of energy. It's really hard. You have to be in shape. Your cardio has to be ready. Mentally, you have to be ready. That's what makes the test hard. But I think what makes it difficult is just the fact that it it is difficult. It is difficult to defend yourself against somebody. The path to black belt is very simple and very easy. It's very clear what has to be done. But knowing what you have to do and actually doing it are two different things. I think that's really good. I think that's really important. You know, you came from another martial art. We have tons of people that have come from other martial arts and they've They've quit their other martial arts because they're just like, it wasn't real, just wasn't real that I always knew in the back of my head that maybe there was somebody big and strong out there. And, you know, there was always that doubt. But then when you get into a jujitsu class and you really have to do stuff against another person, you know, it's not real, right? You know that this is the only way to know that something's real. You do it against another person who wants to hurt you or is resisting fully and you're able to execute it. I think that's where the difficulty comes from.
0: And I can relate to that. As you said, I, I did come from a different martial art. I did karate, and I was always in the back of my head. I had a notion that this wasn't realistic. It was very traditional, very mechanical, robotic, I, would say, I should say. I was always looking, I was always looking, and that's not a good sign. Or, or maybe that is a good sign for somebody to, if, if listening that is doing a martial art, and they feel that it isn't meeting their expectation or that there is something missing from them sure Um, that's a time to really go out and look and I was looking you know I was I was looking at all sorts of different schools uh, around the area that I was living in but I had no idea what I really you know what was good what wasn't and I feel like knowing how hard it is to get progress and get a black belt is is something that you know somebody should look at I mean the first class I ever saw was a brown belt test in your (laughs) dojo and I signed on the spot, if you remember.
1: <laughs> yeah, which is which is great because there's been other people that have had the exact opposite reaction in that kind of situation where they're like, "Nope, this looks ridiculous, way too hard for me," you know, and they and they leave. You know, I think if you really want real self defense, you're going to look for jujitsu. There's there's no question about it. There's nothing wrong with the traditional martial arts, and what I mean by traditional is the co-view, right? Like the old preserved style of things. If you're doing it because that's what you like, right? I want to be embedded in the ancient Japanese culture, and I want to know about how they were and how they talked, and I want to learn the language and the clothing. And I also want to do these moves that really preserve the moves as they were back in the day. And Like, I don't have any problem with that as long as you know that that's what you're doing. If you're in that type of class, but your real drive, your real concern, what you're really looking for is self-defense that's applicable today, then that's probably not the right place for you. It's not to say that there aren't arts that are out there that are uh, the techniques are not not effective, because you could be in one of those traditional classes and they could teach you a technique and it could be very effective in self-defense. But it's not the constant focus. And when you're in jujitsu, that's the constant focus or when you're in self-defense jiu-jitsu, that's the constant focus.
0: There's a lot of myth around attaining a black belt. Some schools are certificates, there's cost a lot of money, and there's some kind of mysticism around once you get a black belt, you know, you can do this or you can do that. <laughs> and you know, is it even possible to compare black belts in different styles? And what does it actually mean to to get a black belt like in Kolkai versus elsewhere?
1: Sure, so I, I don't believe you can compare black belts across styles. And the reason why is, again, it is a symbol of achievement. It's really not a symbol of your ability to defend yourself. Now, I do think that those should be very closely related. If you're in a self-defense focused school, the achievement that you're looking for is the ability to demonstrate that you know the curriculum and that you can actually do enough of it so that you can defend yourself, right? There is a self-defense uh, component in that, but every school has a different curriculum. So, you know, if one Aikido school says you have to learn these 70 techniques in order for you to get your black belt, and the Jiu-Jitsu school says you have to learn 200 techniques, well, then how, how do you compare that? I, I don't think that's possible. And, of course, human nature is they want to compare that, right? Everybody wants to know who's the best and, you know, whatever. Well, as far as I'm concerned, person who gets attacked and survives, they're the best at what they were trying to achieve, which is not get your ass kicked and, you know, get seriously injured or killed. I don't think you can compare them. I also don't think that there's anything mythical about it. At one time in the martial arts, you know, the black belt did not exist. The only thing that you were ever given on a piece of paper was your ability, sort of a license saying you have the ability and and the right to teach this portion of a curriculum. That's really all it was. You could have a, a diploma. I wouldn't call it a diploma a license that said you had the right to teach the full catalog of techniques of a specific system. And I guess that would be the equivalent of, you know, maybe like getting your sensei today or a third degree type black belt in Kobukai Jiu Jitsu, right? That You you know all the techniques and you're able to teach them well and you're able to demonstrate them well. So now you have this license to teach. But that's really all that ever existed. And why do you think that is? I mean, when you're in combat and you live in a time of war, like nobody gives a crap what belt you got or even what license you got, right? The only thing that told people that you could defend yourself is when you kept coming back from the battlefield every time. And then they were always like, "Wow, well, that guy must really know what he's doing or he's really lucky or something because he keeps coming back. And that's all that really mattered.
0: That makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> In some martial arts, seniority is prerequisite for getting a black belt. Mm-hmm, that is true. Is that even a factor at Kobukai?
1: It's definitely not a factor at Kobukai. I know of uh, some schools that still do this. Um, I can relate a story about Hanchi Moore, who was the head of the Zenbudo Ryu system. He was part of a Danzan Ryu school that had seniority. If I joined before you, I was going to have the ability to test before you and to be promoted before you, that sort of thing. That really did not work for him because he's like, listen, man, I know the techniques and this guy who's ahead of me in seniority doesn't know them and he's taken forever to test. And like, I'm just sitting here languishing, waiting for my test and I can't take it because he's more senior. So he was just like, screw it, I'm not doing that. And, and he and he left that dojo and, and moved on. But there's still a lot of, especially traditional Koryu martial arts that definitely have that seniority as part of when you can test or or whatever. But that doesn't have anything to do with anything, right? You have specific techniques. You have to be able to demonstrate them correctly. And then as you continue through the ranks, that doesn't go away. But you also have to develop a certain level of toughness. And you have to have a certain type of of attitude. And you also have to be somebody who really kind of helps everybody at the dojo. And you have to start developing this uh, ability to help people learn and teach. And it's those type of things that I think are more important to us.
0: Are there any benefits that a black belt should or shouldn't receive
1: Well, hmm, that's an interesting question because the the biggest thing that they receive after they kind of get their black belt and they get their diploma and there's a party and everybody's happy type of thing, the biggest thing that uh, they receive, and I'm not sure it's a benefit, is a huge, huge amount of responsibility. If you are going to get your black belt and stay in the dojo... You're a black belt, right? So, any new person coming through the door, or not even new people, right? People that have been there a year or two are going to look at you wearing that black belt and they're going to make assumptions. They're going to say, hey, this guy is going to be able to answer my questions and he's going to be able to demonstrate all those techniques over there on those charts and he's going to probably make corrections to things that I do. And, you know, when I see something, someone else doing something wrong i'm going to expect that that black belt is going to come over and correct that other person and i also expect that he's going to be able to do the techniques better than me as let's say a yellow belt and i have an assumption that you know if we're doing some kind of contest it's probably going to be really difficult to do anything against them so i think that's more more what they get is is a huge amount of responsibility benefits you know, there's sort of a, a group of people you know all the black belts have gone through a similar experience Right? They've gone through all of the ranks, they've had to go through the black belt test, which is you know, really, really tough, and they've made it, and now they're a black belt, and now they're helping teaching, and they're trying to still figure out how to master their own techniques, and they're now trying to ex- figure out how to explain a technique in 50 different ways to 50 different students. And So I think there's sort of a camaraderie that happens with the black belts because of that shared experience. And we leverage that at Kobukai. We go on some camping trips together and you know, go out to dinner and we all get together with a new black belt after a black belt test and kind of indoctrinate them in and tell them some, you know, some stuff about the dojo and, you know, our expectations and stuff. But I would say that's really the only benefits. At some point, if the person, you know, stays long enough and trains long enough and they get their teaching license, well then they certainly have the benefit of being able to be an instructor. So they could go out and just open their own school and start teaching. Now, of course, they could do that no matter what, right? They don't have to wait for a license. They can just go teach if they want to, but they're not going to be recognized as a teacher in Kobukai, right, in the Kobukai schools. And, you know, they're not going to, you know, have recognized rank or any of that sort of thing. So, you know, it's highly encouraged that people stay, get their license, and then go out there and they can they can open their own school and, and their students will know that they're part of something and there's a standard and there's a standard curriculum.
0: Do you look at, uh, like, a, a person coming into the door first time you know, not knowing their experience or or whatever and know whether or not they will get a
1: black belt someday absolutely not i would say that everybody that walks through the door has the potential to get a black belt someday but not everybody will you know it, it's been thousands of students who have walked through the door of kobukai dojos and not that many people have achieved their black belts i mean we might have i don't know 15 16 or so Everybody definitely has the ability and has the the potential to get a black belt. However, that being said, I can say the opposite has happened quite a few times. <laughs> so, There's definitely been people that have walked through the door where I've, you know, stupidly made the mistake of thinking in my head, there's no way this person, I wasn't even thinking black belt. I didn't even think they were going to last. So I hadn't jumped to black belt. I was just like, they're going to be gone in three months. Mm -hmm. You know, they just didn't seem to have the excitement or the the drive or, you know, maybe the even basic coordination or whatever. So and and, you know, some of those people have surprised me. They're still around. Some of those are people are black belts. So I would say, yeah. Everybody that walks through has got the potential. Not everybody will make it.
0: What do you do when you think you're ready to test, but nobody else is recognizing it?
1: So you're a student, you're saying, and you're like, I I know I'm ready to test. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I would say there's a way to handle that. I will tell you a really short story about a way to not handle that. And that would be the way I did. It wasn't for my black belt, but it was for a a, a lower belt in the first jiu-jitsu style I studied. And I really thought I was ready to go. And I kept bugging my teacher and telling him, listen, man, I want to, I I can test. I, I know how to do these techniques. And of course he's looking at me and looking at, you know, how well I do these techniques. And he's like, totally, he's not ready to test, but. I kept bugging him to the point where he was like, okay, you can test. And when I showed up to the test, he gave me an uke that was like three times the size of me. And I could barely do anything on this guy. And I looked like a fool. And he just stopped the test and told me to sit down. And, you know, I got the message, don't be bugging the heck out of your teacher to test, (laughs) right? So I just went back and trained. And then at some point in the future, he said, okay, you should probably try out at the next test. There is a way to do it if you're a student and you think you're ready without uh, doing what I did. And that is really to pull aside... uh, one of the instructors, right? Any of the black belt instructors, even a brown belt instructor, or whatever, and just say, Hey, you know what? Could you give me like fifteen minutes? I would love to just kind of blast through the jujitsu portion of this chart or the Aikijutsu portion, whatever. And I just want you to look at it and just tell me what you think, right? Just, you know, give me some some feedback on on how things are looking. And they're always going to do that for you, right? They'll be like, absolutely, sure, you know? Just say, hey, I don't wanna I don't wanna stop and and get corrections on techniques right if i'm messing them up fine let's just like let me go through the whole thing and and let me just show you you know show you what i got and then i want you to give me some feedback and i i think any black belt or brown belt would be totally willing to do that and then it'll give you an honest idea of where you are and they may just look at you and go wow <laughs> jeez, I guess I haven't seen you in a while. That stuff looked that looks fantastic. And then you just kind of let that go and maybe have them check out another portion maybe, you know, a week later. And if they keep saying, jeez, you know, that looks great. I can guarantee you on the side, they're going to the head of the school and they're saying, jeez, you know what? Joe over there is really looking like he's ready to test. I think that's the better approach uh, than to just say, hey, instructor, I'm ready to test and I, and I want to test.
0: What should one do if the converse happens? Somebody says you look like you're ready to test. You know you've been you look pretty good, but then the student is saying you know what I don't know. I don't feel comfortable with that.
1: That actually happens all the time, and it's really difficult for the instructor to kind of weigh what's really going on there. So most students are fearful of, of taking a test, right? Because they're they're fearful of of failing. Typically, it's not going from like your white belt to your yellow belt. Usually, everybody's pretty anxious to once they feel like, okay, I'm getting this. They're they're pretty anxious to move on. But going from yellow to blue or blue to brown or brown to black, most most of the students, I, I don't see a lot of anxiousness. You know, they're they're thoughtful about it. They they know they want to do it. They're not 100% sure they're going to get it right. There have been some students that are just like, you know, I don't I don't want to test. You know, or they just self-sabotage themselves right they don't say they don't want to test but you know they'll pull back on training or they'll go off and study something else and then come back later or they'll just you can tell they're just kind of ramping down in class i've seen that happen to a few people and it's gone on for for years and years and years i you can't fix that right because that's something that's going on in their head you can try to coach them or you know whatever get them pumped up but until they make that decision that you know they're willing to test then then you know you're not gonna you're not gonna beat that one. But I would say most students will have some trepidation about testing. So the instructor's like, no, I really think you're you're getting there. I really think it's a good time for you to test. And in their head, they're like, "No way, I'm just not, you know, I'm not good enough. And that's kind of okay because that little bit of stress, you know tends to make people study hard because they, they want to pass. And then there have been people that we thought are ready and weren't. Uh, we have people that have they thought they were ready and we kind of thought they were ready. And then we were looking at them pretty closely and, and they aren't ready. And we let them know. I mean, we don't want people to fail. We want people to be ready for their test, but not everybody passes their test for one reason or the other. I mean, they could get tired and lose their gas. They could just kind of brain fart. And then once that happens, they just stop stop remembering what the techniques are, or there's lots of different reasons that can happen sort of mid-test. That doesn't mean they weren't ready. It just means in the heat of battle, they kind of they kind of lost it. And so then we have to go back and we have to work on that a little bit. But I think people also need to remember that this is absolutely a journey and not a destination. And I think every single black belt can attest to that, although that was a great or horrible slash horrible day in their life doing their black belt test. The reality of it was, after all, the fanfare was done and everybody congratulates them and they go home and they come into the next class and they put on their black belt, just like they put on their brown belt or their blue belt or their yellow belt. They just start working out again, exactly like they did before. Nothing really changed, right? Yes, you may sit in a different piece of the class, maybe people are calling you senpai or whatever, but your personal journey really doesn't change. It just simply continues. It's the journey that's more important.
0: In Koboka, seniority doesn't, you know, doesn't matter. There's occasions where people you've trained with uh, roughly the same time they started with you, or even folks come in after you, sometimes, you know, by month, sometimes even by you know a year or two and they progress faster and they leapfrog you so to speak
1: sure how do
0: how do how's one deal with that
1: well i know it's a hard thing i know it's it's difficult to work really really hard with someone and feel that you're on par with them and then the next thing you know they're testing and they're receiving another belt and they're moving forward and you're still where you are right that's that's difficult for a lot of reasons, right? It's, even though we may not, you know, be egotistical per, uh, people, we all have a little, we all have ego in us and, and we're just questioning, uh, am I lacking something? You know, why is that person moving ahead? But there's two things I can say that I hopefully for the students out there will give them just a little bit of, of perspective on it, right? More people come to the dojo and drop out in the first place say year or two, then not. If you've made it a year or two and you're still going, you're you're ahead of a lot, a lot, a lot of people, right? Not just the people that are in the dojo, but all those other people that walk through the door. And you're still training and you're training to protect yourself where these other people aren't. So you're putting yourself in an advantage in a dangerous situation where these other people basically quit doing that. So that's one perspective. You know the second perspective is I'll maybe say from my perspective. I've been doing it for over three decades. If I look back to the amount of sort of angst and concern and sweat and all that stuff that I did during my first four or five or six years, I probably didn't need to. That was probably a lot of wasted emotion because when you look at it over a long enough time frame, uh, those small little jumps where somebody moves six months ahead of you or any of those kind of things start to kind of flatten out over time. And I can tell you this is a longevity game. There are many people that were significantly ahead of me when I was coming up that I'm much higher ranked than now. And 99% of that is because I just kept training. And I just kept training and I opened a school and I tried to help other people train and I wanted to give of myself and it just time passed and you just kept growing, right? You just kept growing as an instructor and as a practitioner. So over a long enough time frame, those small little leapfrogs, end up not really mattering that much i mean you could be a blue belt somebody could pass you out and be a brown belt somebody could pass you out and be a black belt while you're still a blue belt and then 10 years later they're not even practicing anymore and you're still there as a black belt so you you have to kind of keep that perspective and then lastly the only leapfrog we could possibly be talking about is belt is belt rank it depends on how much you know importance people put on that i'm not sure. Too many people come through the door and say, listen, my goal here is by the time I'm done five years from now, I want to have an awesome collection of multicolored belts that I can display on my wall. That's that's really my goal, right? That's not what nobody nobody comes for that. Everybody's coming for self-defense, right? They want to be able to defend themselves. So again, that's the real thing that's going on. It's more about how much time you spend. If you spend five years at the dojo and you're a yellow belt or you're a black belt or you know, whatever color, it still doesn't change how much training you've done, right? You've still done five years of training. That's really what makes the difference. Can somebody else in class tap you out? Yeah, uh, whatever. I mean, I've been tapped out as a black belt a bazillion times. That's not what's important. What's important is enjoy coming to the dojo. You enjoy training, and you think you're you're progressing and you're getting better at defending yourself against somebody in the street. I think that is really where people should focus. And then, you know, the belts will come and go and, and whatever, but that's it's about knowing how to protect yourself and your family and your loved ones.
0: Just a couple of closing questions, I guess. Sure. Um, one thing that's uh, maybe a little light, more lighthearted, I think we've all heard the myth in some form or other that once you get a black belt, you know, name the black belt in whatever style that the FBI or CIA or some other governmental agency designates you as a as as, as a killing machine or 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 a lethal <laughs> weapon or something like that. You're, you, either your mind or your body, and you know, it certifies you or puts you on some kind of uh, um, badass list or something. I, <laughs> is there any truth to that? Or where does that even come from?
1: I have no idea. It's probably something from the movies. It's like 007. You know, his hands are registered with you know, the British government or something to that effect. But there's there's no reality to that at, at all. The only thing I would say is that if you were to get into an altercation, and uh, you, you know, seriously hurt somebody. It is highly likely that you know if it's brought to trial, if you're sued, people are going to, uh, you know, investigate how the fight happened and how you responded. And more than likely, you're going to mention somewhere along the way that I did this technique or I'm a martial artist or whatever. And they are going to assume that because you have techniques, because you have methods to defend yourself, that you also have choice as to how dangerous of a technique you will use against an assailant. That used to be much more prevalent in like the 60s, 70s, and 80s. It's kind of going away now, which is a good thing. If you are in fear for bodily harm of yourself or your family member or somebody invades your house or carjacks you, or especially if they pull out a weapon and you are in fear for your life, You pretty much can do whatever technique you need to do in order to defend yourself. I think where you can get yourself in trouble, again, having nothing to do with the uh, secret registration of your hands or feet with the CIA or FBI or government agencies, is if you throw somebody to the ground or if you disarm them or something like that and they've obviously been defeated and they obviously give up and they're like, stop, or maybe they're just, they're incapacitated, so they can't even say stop, and then you continue to do something to them. So you throw the guy down, he hits the ground, he hits his head, he's unconscious, and then you like, stomp him in the face, or you know, that kind of thing, you're probably going to get in trouble. They're going to say you should have known better. You you defended yourself, you were no longer in danger, there's no reason why you should have hit them, stomped them, you know, done, done any of that sort of stuff. But that's about that's about the reality of it. There, there is no um, agency uh, anywhere that it registers you as a martial artist uh, and puts you on the you're a badass list. <laughs>
0: Sorry, I have two more questions
1: yeah, um, related yeah, to course. the
0: philosophy of um, the decisions you've made for your school. Sure. Number one, back to a point made earlier about martial arts uh, studios charge a lot of money to even test for a black belt or any belt. I know you don't charge for the test or the belt why is that?
1: Well, I think that people are already making a a pretty large investment, right? They're making number one, a large investment of time. If you're coming to class three or four times a week for an hour and a half, plus, you know, driving there and driving back and cleaning the mats and taking a shower when you get home and washing your gear, like that takes a lot of time away from the rest of your life or your family or your friends. So there is already a huge investment in time. And there's also a significant investment uh, in money. No matter what the school is charging, if they're charging $50 a month or $150 a month, it's a it's a significant investment of, of money because it's not like you, you pay once for 10 weeks and then you know how to defend yourself, right? You're probably going to be attending for years. So months and months and months and months that you're paying over and over and over and over again. That's enough investment. Now, is it totally worth it? Absolutely, as far as I'm concerned. If I can walk down the street, with my family and I feel secure that if somebody, you know, does anything, I can take care of myself and my family. I'm, I'm not sure how much I'd be willing to pay for that, right? Like anything actually, or if I can stop myself from getting killed, right? How much would you pay for your life? So I think financially it's totally, totally, totally worth it. If at the end of the day, you go to the most expensive school that you can find and you go there for five years and you end up spending, Forty thousand dollars. I don't know. I'm just making it up. That's still only equivalent of going to college for one year, right? You're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to college for one year, and it may it may get you a job. I don't know nowadays. But okay. but the reason back to your question, I consider we charge a, a very very fair uh, and competitive price, and I feel that we give a great curriculum. And I don't want to nickel and dime people, right? I want them to get value for what they spend their money on. So uh, if we have T-shirts, am I going to make people pay for them and buy them? Yeah, if you want a T-shirt, you're going to buy it. Or, you know, if, if you want equipment, you're going you're gonna to pay for it or a special seminar, right? Yes, I totally agree with that. But if you've done your techniques and you've studied for, you know, a year to test for, you know, whatever, your yellow belt, and you've paid your dues, you know, why do I need to say, okay, now you need to pay me $100 for the right to demonstrate that you've learned, and then you need to pay me another $50 for the belt that cost me $8 or $11 if I got a fancy one you know, to put on your waist. And then there's schools that just go way above and like now you have to buy a new uniform of a different color and blah, 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 blah. blah. Mm -hmm. So I I really just think those are decisions that are being made by somebody who's running a business Mm -hmm. that is more concerned with running his business than the development of their students. So that's why we don't do that.
0: And lastly, Proud parents are always even prouder when their children, when they display little stickers on their uh, bumper stickers on their cars, uh, which say that their uh, kid's an honor roll student or tell people around the office that their kid has a black belt. You don't award black belts to kids when you have kids' classes.
1: Absolutely. What's your,
0: what's your philosophy around that?
1: Absolutely not. And, and the reason is, is it sends a message. So I know at the beginning we were talking about that it's just a belt and... No, no big deal, and you know it, re- it reflects an achievement. It doesn't specifically say that you can defend yourself, but that's what I feel, and that's what we're trying to talk about in Kobukai. That doesn't mean that that's what everybody else feels, and I think there's just a general perception, especially in the Western world, that a black belt is 100% equated to your ability to defend yourself. If a eight-year-old kid is wearing a black belt, it's more than they were just it means more than they were just able to demonstrate the curriculum to most people in the Western world. It means that they can defend themselves. And there is no eight-year-old kid that can defend themselves against an adult, you know, effectively, especially with all the techniques that they're that they're taught, right? Maybe they'll be able to escape. That's fantastic and they should, you know, maybe they can kick somebody in the groin or poke them in the eye and just get away and that's fantastic but that doesn't represent what it means to be an adult black belt so i never wanted to send the wrong message i'm not entirely sure that belts are 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 great for kids anyway in jujitsu it's it's i guess it's a good thing to keep them motivated and and progressing forward but i would never uh you know award a black belt to a kid Uh, 16 would be the youngest i would award a black belt to and we've never had anybody even close to that so i I, you know that's not going to happen it just sends the wrong message there is no 80 pound eight-year-old or 100 pound eight year old that learns some jujitsu techniques that's going to be able to pull them off against a 200 pound angry man i don't want the parents to get the wrong idea and i don't want the kid himself to get the wrong idea that hey you know now I'm a black belt badass because you, you know they're <laughs> going to get they're going to get injured they're going to get hurt so that's why we don't do it I'm certainly not saying anything against schools that want to do that they all have their reasons and that's fine but that's the reason why we don't.
0: Shyan thank you so much I don't have any more questions.
1: Oh well, great well I'm hoping that just clarifies a little bit um, about the black belt I think one of the most important things I wanted people to be really clear about and you know kind of. Put it into their elevator speech when they're asked is there are standards for black belts within a system at a dojo and potentially for a specific martial art, but there is no standards across martial arts. Each one of them have different requirements, different curriculum, different traditions, different time frames that it takes to accomplish all of the things that you need to in order to test and and get your black belt. And the black belt may even mean different things to to different martial arts. So as a student, you shouldn't compare. um, If somebody from, you know, if you're a jujitsu person and somebody from Aikido comes along and say, you know, and they're a black belt, you certainly show them respect, right? They have done whatever their requirements were to achieve that black belt i'm sure it was difficult and and they've and they've done it so you certainly show them that respect but don't compare their ability or or try to figure out what they've learned and compare it to what you're learning because that's really just uh, uh it's just a waste of time a school that you're involved with should very clearly state what is expected of somebody in order to move through ranks if they use ranks As long as that is done, as long as it's very clearly stated and you understand what it is, then there really should be, you know, there really should be no problem if that's what you want to go through to get your black belt. Uh, If it's not, then maybe, you know, you move on to another school.